tell me how you really felt about your time in Buffalo, Craig. Absolutely hated every minute up. <laughs> you know, it's amazing. Like been, been 11 years I've been retired and, and these conversations never really come up between you and I, because we talk about everybody else, talk about players, we talk about teams, talk about Alex Ovechkin, is he going to beat the Gretzky, that, you know, this, that, and the other. You never stories, really go stories, back. stories, yeah. You, know, you really never go back. And, and, you know, we're having Thomas Vanek on today, who's an absolute rock star. One of the very few guys that I actually even liked on the team when I was here, very few. <laughs> Um, and it's, it's just interesting. It's just interesting. The, the whole environment when I was here in Buffalo, when I came here, it was shit right like, from the coat, right from the GM or actually we'll just go as far as the, the ownership was an absolute disgrace. Okay. I'm walking in the very first day. The very first day I show up to the rink, I'm by myself. I'm with our athletic trainer, Tim Macri, who is an absolute rock star. He was one of the reasons why I actually got through this abysmal time in my career. And I remember him showing me around the rink. Went through the training room and into the workout room. And, you know, I came from Montreal and San Jose. Both of those teams had some of the best facilities in the national hockey league. And now I show up to Buffalo and it literally looks like my, my minor league team in, in 1995 when I showed up. But uh, anyway, don't sugarcoat anything. Okay. I, uh, I, I just remember walking through into the dressing room, the Buffalo Sabres dressing room is very, very average to be honest with you. But uh, I had noticed in the stalls that each stall had these great big tubs of protein powder and then also another drink called Cytomax. It was an electrolyte drink. You know, every NHL team had it. Every, every team used it. And I asked Tim Macri, I said, Tim, why does everybody have these tubs in their, in their stalls? He goes, well, it's theirs. I said, what do you mean it's theirs? Well, they have to buy their own. So what do you mean you got to buy your own? I thought this is the NHL. And at first yeah. you're thinking like, We've oh, got every a- guy gets their own order of their supplements and the team covers it or something and they leave yeah. it in their stalls. Every team I've been on, obviously Montreal and, and San Jose, like, I mean, these are the farthest things from the things that you would have to buy for yourself. These are things that the team, every single team in the league buys. And I'm looking, I'm like, what? You have to pay for your own protein powder and Cytomax? So anyway, wow, interesting. I go into the back room. It's like kind of a player's area. It's real small. Um, and again, I noticed... You know, and this is like a month or two into the season, right? This is a month or two into the season. And I had noticed that there is no, usually on every single team in the National Hockey League, every single one, they would have at least bread, okay? Because we have players showing up every morning like Derek Roy, okay? Literally getting out of bed and driving straight to the rink 
not eating because he's not mature enough to eat yet. Okay. And just get on the ice and practice and, and do what he has to do. Meanwhile, he's not put any food in his body at all. So anyway, you know, the older guy, I'm, I remember saying, can we get a toaster, some bread? Is this asking too much or is this something that we're going to have to pay for? Bagels and some cream yeah. cheese or some peanut butter or something? Yeah. So I ended up getting a toaster, some bread, and literally some peanut butter. And I had to go through a wall to get it. But God forbid we got to feed half of our team before practice because <laughs> they were too immature to do that on their own. Then we went above and beyond. I remember this. I'm starting to learn and understand that there's other teams around the league that have chefs that have, you, you know, you come in, they're cooking your eggs and omelets and they're, they have fruit there and all this kind of stuff to, to nourish their players. So when they, you know, a couple hours later, you, you're, you're doing your practice, you have the energy that you need. So I went and had that conversation with, uh, with Lindy Ruff. One of my, one of my five conversations as a, as a captain that I had with the head coach of the team, because he didn't like talking to anybody, you know, he just wanted to beat everybody down and, you know, scare tactic. Our next guest took some serious blows from Lindy. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. But uh, I sat in the room with Lindy and I had asked if we could try and do something, set something up where we could, you know, have an opportunity to, to, proper nutrition in our our young guys bodies and uh yeah he's like yeah we can do that but uh, you guys are gonna have to pay for it okay i remember this now you realize what kind of team we're on what kind of ownership that we have and then you just keep trickling down to darcy regeer Lindy Ruff and the way they ran things in Buffalo in my time, I thought it was completely dog shit. It was, it's, they wanted to scare the bejesus out of all these young guys into, you know, it, it, it was, really was, it wasn't, it was an, it was an act of intimidation. Hey, I mean, like, and, and listen, I mean, it worked. It, it absolutely, it absolutely worked. In, in the biggest way, because everybody was terrified. And I mean terrified of Darcy and Lindy. But that doesn't mean that it's, um, you know, me. It's effective. Like, again, that doesn't I mean came, it's effective. It might have worked that you were able to intimidate them and have them scared. But it doesn't mean that it's an effective way to go about having your players think on a daily basis. Very much. Yeah. I was already 13 years into my career. I was already eight eight NHL head coaches in um, my third team. Lindy Ruff didn't scare me. Not one friggin' bit. Not one bit. And that's probably why. Well, we when you're a young kid coming up at all. Eight, 18 drafted, you got this, you know, coach that's been in the league for a ton of years, been to the finals, iconic in Buffalo, iconic. You know, it's like if, if people only knew, but it, iconic and, uh, you know, he, he's, he's got a presence to him physically as, as well. You know I mean? Like, so when, when he stands up there at the start of training camp and 
you know, you have, uh, you know, 18, 19, 20 year old kids and their dreams are, you know, rest in, in his arms, you know, and Darcy as well, you know, then you're, you know, you, and you, and you go about things the way that, that they did with the, with the bully tactics and the scare tactics. I mean, it, it every single one of us, Miller, Vanek, Pominville, Roy, Gostad, um, Janik, Clark MacArthur, Stafford, Pye. MacArthur, it went Pye. On, and on the whole team was uh, extremely petrified, immature. petrified, immature. Yeah, but okay, raw. How about raw? Like they're just trying to make the NHL. Thomas Vanek, you know, I, I'll never forget this. So. After 06, 07, Drury and Breer leave, okay? And so it's 07, 08. You weren't here yet. And, and you tell me if this is right. I remember we were in Carolina, and I don't mean you tell me if this is right because you were there. You tell me if this is right because of what was said. We were in Carolina. Miller just got a, a contract extension. Roy just got $24 million over six years. Um, Vanek just got his offer sheet. Um, you know, Gost had signed for three or four years or whatever. I, I can't, but guys had signed contract extensions and we lost a game. We lost a game against Carolina that year. It was early in the year. And Lindy comes in and I remember he says, how did he word it? He said he was talking about his system. He was talking about how the team played. He was talking about what he wanted the guys to do. And, and, uh, and I remember he said, this system has made guys on this team multi fucking millionaires. And he like punched the chalkboard, like of the roster lineup that night. And I'll never forget the guys on the bus after we're like, did Lindy really just hold our contracts over our head? Did he really just hold like, I, I'll, I'll never forget. I mean, I think I just signed like a two year contract extension and I'm like elated, right. It was for a million bucks or a million 50 or whatever uh, over two years. And uh, so I wasn't, a, I wasn't one of the multimillionaires that he was talking about, but I just remember guys were, were upset about that, that he actually brought up their contracts and how much they're making. And that, it was because of him. It was almost like guys, like guys were saying like, what should we, do we owe Lindy a percentage or something? <laughs> you know, like, the, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm making a bigger deal out of it. The guys were, and maybe that's the immaturity you were talking about, but I don't think so. I mean, money is very sensitive conversation in pro hockey. Why is that? Well, I mean, like if from the standpoint of it coming from a coach, a coach like directing his, his post game losing speech to toward his team and bringing up salaries and money earned fuck. It's a little overboard in my opinion, in my opinion, like, uh, you know, keep it, keep tactic. it, a bully tactic. Yeah. Yeah. No, no question about it. That's how he coached though. That's how he coached. Like I said before, I was here for three years in Buffalo. Captain of this hockey team. I had five conversations with him. Five. 
You know how many conversations I had with Ron Wilson in San Jose? I was wearing an A in, in San Jose. You know how many conversations in his office I had? Once a week. And it might have been not even talking hockey. Ron Wilson was asking about my family, asking about how I like San Jose, certain restaurants that I went to, how your kids in school, everything okay. And then I'd walk out and I'd go to, uh, you know, I'd go do what I had to do at the rink. I talked to guys in Montreal when I was an assistant captain there, helping out Saku Koivu, who was our captain, the clear face of our team. But Saku needed help. And, and I was one of the guys who helped provide, you know, support for Saku and what he did and, and gave him, you know, opinions and, and all this kind of stuff. But I also had conversations with Claude Julian. Michelle Tarion was fantastic. You know, I had conversations with these guys. On a daily basis. On a weekly basis. I talked to Lindy five times. I uh, five times. Yeah, I know, I know, and I've told you the story before. Like, you know, Lindy never, Lindy never hung me out to dry in the media ever. You know, and in fact, I will say that you know he protected me. There were times where you know he could have, you know, where I was under under fire maybe for play or something I did, you know, whatever. And you know, Lindy, I will say, Lindy, you know, in the public eye, you know, had come to my defense, but. But I mean, behind closed doors, I, I don't ever, I don't, I don't ever, I don't ever, I mean, he never hung me out to dry in front of the team either. However, that doesn't mean that it didn't bother me when he hung other guys out to dry. Like these are, these are your buddies. These are your friends. And there are some guys you don't even like on the team, but then there are limits where you're just like, coach has gone too far on this one. But you know, like, like for instance, take Thomas Vanek, for example. He literally, I don't know if Thomas even knows this. I probably shouldn't even be telling you this story. It was so bad. It was so bad. Thomas and I had the same agent, Steve Bartlett. And Steve called me. I remember where I was. I was in New Jersey. I wasn't playing for the Devils at the time. I was playing for the Sabres. And he called me. We were in Jersey. And he said, listen, I don't want you to know that I'm calling. I don't want anyone to know that I'm calling you, especially Thomas. He said, don't tell anybody that I'm calling you, okay? He said, but Thomas, Thomas has really reached a rough point with Lindy. And I just need to know. He's like, I believe Thomas. I, I like, you know, Thomas has never complained ever about anything. Ever. He's making seven something million. This is when he's on his offer sheet deal. He's like on making 50 million bucks. And I think that there was a lot of spite toward Thomas for that. Like there's a lot of animosity within the organization for that contract offer that he, he got. And I remember Steve said, how bad is it? Is it as bad as Thomas is making it out to be? And I said, well, what did Thomas say to you? Give me an example of some of the things he's like, well, it's just, and he, he gave me, he told me what was going on every single game, every single game, every single game, every video session, pregame meeting, pregame speech, postgame speech, 
every morning practice time on the ice. Remember those stupid skates? Lindy would find a player and he would just skate around for like 10 minutes before practice even started. We're all sitting there like skating around, like, holy start, start practice. Like what times nine fifteen practice or whatever, or 10, 15 practice. He's just skating around in a circle, skating around the one day he had van for about 30 minutes. 35 minutes, maybe, you know, and he's got the two arm thing going. He's got the stick going one way in his arms. Like, and, and, and it was, and it was like, he was, it was like almost verbal abuse. Like not that day in particular, but I, I said to Steve, I said, well, it's way worse than what you're describing. In my opinion, he's like, really? I'm like, it's way worse than what Thomas is even in my, in my opinion, I don't think Thomas has even given you the, 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 the harshest end of it. Like, I mean, and Thomas is being vocal to his agent, like about, about how bad things have gotten for him with Lindy. And you know, what's amazing about this is Thomas, when we were back on that live show, it's nowhere as near as good as it once was, but he told us Lindy Ruff was one of his favorite coaches. Yeah. Which I, which I find love, baffling, a love but hate a, relationship. There's no question about it. And, and I think that, I think you know this, I think you know this, and I'll kind of reiterate my, my thoughts on exactly what you've said, was I sat in these, the only reason we won games was because of Derek Roy and Thomas Vanek. They were that good. They were our two best players. There's no question about it. It was undeniable. If, we, if those two guys played and came to play, we had a very good chance of winning. If they didn't, we didn't have a chance of winning. I'll tell you this, you know, I think Lindy's thought was if I'm going to be hard on somebody, I'm going to be hard on the best because if I'm hard on the best players, then everybody else behind those guys are going to be on alert. I think that's the way he thought. That's the only thing that came, that comes to mind when I think of the meetings that we sat in and they just got absolutely destroyed in every video meeting and made it sound like they picked out every single wrong play. Don't forget Maxi, Maxi Finneganoff in that one. He got, he got smoked too. Yeah. But Max, Max deserved it. <laughs> am I, am I wrong? Max I love Maxi. I love Maxi. Max so I was I, the typical Russian hockey player that only played for one person. And that was for Max. He did not play a team game. He only worried about his own stuff. Okay. He, it's like he was on the team, but he was just kind of sitting on the outside. He only worried about Max, but the other two guys cared. Thomas Vanek cared. He had a lot of pressure on him, a lot of pressure. And every single solitary game, it didn't matter if Van scored three goals, two goals, set up plays. It was always about how bad. Thomas Vanek was or Derek Roy was how they weren't working, how they weren't back checking where they weren't in the position. They didn't do this. They didn't do that. And it went on and on and on and on for, and I listen, I had, like I said, I had been in the league for 13, 14, 15, 16 years. And it got to a point where the first time in my career, I actually went and knocked on a coach's door and I asked to sit down. One of my five conversations I had with my, with my head coach, and I asked to sit down and I just, I flat out said, I don't know what you're doing, but you are destroying our two best players. So you had this discussion with Lindy? Yes. 
I said, Lindy, I have no problem with you picking out and crucifying them for the things that they do not do well because they, they are offensive players and there are things that they did not do well. But I said, Lindy, they're the reasons why we're winning. And if you're going to destroy them for 45 minutes in a video and they're the reason why we lost the night before, then go and show the things that they're actually doing well because they're doing a tremendous amount of things well. You have to be, if you're going to crucify them with negativity and constructive criticism, then you also need to follow it up with the things that they're doing exceptionally well and they were making incredible plays. And I do remember this, that, that Lindy was very receptive to it. He's like, you know what? That's a really good point. I really appreciate you coming in because the next videos that we did and the videos that, that ended the rest of the year were videos that were still very difficult on those players, but also were showing great things that they did. And there was a light bulb that went on for some of these guys. They appreciated, you know, Lindy and the coaching staff showing things that they are doing well. I, I'll, uh, and listen, I mean, Thomas Vanek, we're going to have him on in a couple minutes here. He's going to be the first one. You know, he's a really, are you going to ask him about all this? Why? Absolutely. I I don't know. It's one of the things that I remember sitting there and it was almost cringeworthy because it wasn't one, two, 10, 20, 40 games. It was almost every game that these guys were getting crucified. And it went on for a couple years and, and until I couldn't handle it anymore. I'm just like, what the hell is going on here? Like Thomas Vanek just had three points last night and we've spent 45 minutes destroying them in video. Were you, you were on the team when he came to the Halloween party as dad Suk, right? Come on. Were you not there yet? You may. I think I, I think that was the year before I, Oh, I don't think so. I think that was the year you came as a carrot. No, no. You came as a caveman. You and your wife came as a caveman and cave woman. I still have pictures from this Halloween party. I still have them. I have the, I have the picture of Thomas in his dat souk. <laughs> so, so for gag gifts this, that year, I remember somebody on the team, I can't remember who got van, but gave him like, it had to have been. So what year did Detroit win the cup? Oh, seven, Oh eight, because then Crosby won Oh eight, Oh nine, right. They played back to back years, Pitt, mm-hmm. Detroit. So it was Oh eight, Oh nine. And that was our year together. It was Oh eight, Oh nine because, and, and someone okay, got, yes. someone got him like, like a, like a picture of Pavel Datsuk because all Lindy used to say is you, why can't you play more like Datsuk? Why can't you be more like Datsuk? You know what I mean? And Detroit, the Detroit model was exactly where they were trying to go to. Right. And uh, so, um, so someone got him like the championship video of Detroit Red Wings. Oh, seven. And it was all Red Wing related. Right. And it was kind of like an ongoing joke throughout the year. So all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I, I can't remember if he had rollerblades on or not. I can't. It might have just been sneakers. I can't. But for the sake of dramatics and, and theatrics, we'll say rollerblades, and we'll ask him if he had rollerblades on. But 
he shows up and everyone, everyone starts kind of coming into the party. Right. And the party was at cobblestone right next to the rink and, and unbelievable place to have a Halloween party, by the way. So, uh, um, everyone starts kind of funneling in and then all of a sudden here comes Vanner. He's got the socks. He's got the pants. And I think he even got the pants from Maddie Ellis. Maybe he has the pants. Okay. <laughs> Cause Ellie played in Detroit. <laughs> then he has, he has the helmet and he has the Jersey and it's that <laughs> It's a dad suit Jersey. I don't know if he had a dad suit stick or whatever, but anyway, he wore it all night long. And it was uh, honestly, because it was, uh, it was not a shot at the coach, but it was a joke off of what the coach. It was absolutely uh, a shot at the coach. What are you talking well, about? So anyway, so I have this picture of Van, and he's he's and I took a picture of it. He's holding his stick out all the way out like this, and on the end of it, he just lined a ton of shots on the blade, and he was serving the shots on his on his uh, on the blade of his stick. It was it was unbelievable. Is that and when t- the uh, is that when the uh, the Euros uh, came as Teletubbies? Yes. I think that was the same year. Roisey came as a Roisey one and he came as uh, the guy from uh, dodgeball. Dodgeball. It was dodgeball. It was dodge. He came as dodgeball. Hang on one sec. Let's get Thomas Vanek. I'm I'm recording it right away. What's happening. We were just reminiscing about you, Vanner. What's going on, man? Life is good. How are you guys? Things are great. Things Where's are that great. East Coast jersey hanging behind you. What's that? Where's that that East Coast League jersey? Didn't you play there for a little bit? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's Under still the in the closet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we were. I was just telling the story, Van, about because uh, we we did a little recording before you came on. We were reminiscing about Thomas Vanek and things like that, and the team and. Riv kind of went off at the start. He was having an emotional breakdown. So he had some shit he had to get off his chest about his days in Buffalo. But uh, I was just talking about, I, I think it comes up every time we talk to you just I, about the Halloween party when you showed up as Datsuk. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I don't know. It just, uh, how did that come about? Well, I think. Why Pavel Datsuk? Why not someone Why else? Why Datsuk specifically, man? Well, I mean, you know, I mean, I got a lot of videos sent to me by uh, our coach and GM, and they wanted me to play more like the magic man, and I'm far away from him as possible. So I think it kind of was a running joke around the room. So I just kind of went with it. We were, we were talking about... Uh... Uh, some of your video sessions, man. Oh my God. <laughs> I don't, I, I never, I mean, even Riv will attest to this. I don't think I never saw a player get roasted by a coach more than you, a star player getting absolutely roasted. But and here I, I was, think there asking, was a one, a one B though. I think there was a one, a one B and who is the one B I don't know, but I probably was a, <laughs> you were definitely A. You you were definitely one A, but you had a sidekick that was one B. And, yeah, one uh, B is one B was kind of a cycling door, probably between Roy Z and uh, Max. <laughs> you just you, you just hit him right on the head. <laughs> but you know, again, we we talked about this at length, and uh, 
you know, it's something that, uh, you know, I played a long time in the league, saw, you know, played with a lot of different players, played for a lot of different coaches. And it was something that uh, certainly, you know, struck a chord, I think, with a lot of us, you know, because, um, you know, I'll, I'll take a time to kind of build you up here, uh, Vanner. But, uh, you know, as much as you took an extreme amount of uh, video abuse, you were one of the major reasons why we won games. I mean, if Thomas Vanek was not on that night, then we didn't have a chance to win games. Um, and there was games that you were on and, and, and we won because, you know, you're not going to win games in the national hockey league without your best players. Um, but just, you know, even when you had, uh, you know, finished a, you know, a two goal game or a goal and assist or whatever it was, it, you were still on the video still getting crucified the next day. And it was just kind of something where it was like, I think everybody was just numb to it, but it still struck a lot of chords for a lot of guys because it, it just wasn't right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's obviously, it wasn't fun. I appreciate your comments there, but I think early on I was lucky. I mean, you know, before your time in Buffalo, you know, my, my rookie year, my second year and so on, I think I had, especially that first year, you know, I had that support system with, with Chris, with Danny B, Teppo, Jay McKee, and you can go on and on. I mean, the, the vets we had was amazing. So, and I remember Chris just saying, he's like, they're just trying to make you better. Sometimes they go over the line. Sometimes it's under the line. He's like, just walk out of there, brush it off and play your game. And that's kind of how I played my career. You know, I, I understand what kind of player I was. I knew I wasn't the hardest back checker or the hardest four checker or, getting into fights and then, you know, I could have, you know, skated more here and here. And part of it was my game because I was reading the game, trying to step or two ahead. And sometimes it cost me the wrong way. But so again, I, overall it's, I had thick skin. I could take it. I wasn't one, you know, it's the game has changed as you guys know, especially now. I mean, half these kids would probably, um, you know, not even play, you know, or, or shut it down the next 10 games. I mean, now it's, I, I still watch a lot of games and, even my last five years, the tablets on the bench and stuff. I'm like, what is happening here, guys? Like, don't worry about last shift. Let's go for the next shift. Like it's, it's, I don't know. It's just the video is just part of the game. And I think it's, you know, a part of it. I think it's, it's crap. Yeah. Take me to that for a sec. I, it's amazing. You just brought that up. Cause I, that wasn't even something I, I even thought about talking with you today about, but I mean, you brought it up and, and you played and, I mean, Craig played in a much different time than we played. And obviously, you know, eras have, you know, they changed. And I think Vanner, we were probably right around that, right on the teetering from the older generation, end of the old mindset, yeah. old school generation to like the new school, you know, you know, what they're doing these days, whatever that is. Right. I look, I look at the bench and I see these guys watching their shifts and I just think, could you imagine, could you imagine back then if, if a guy was like, if a guy turned around and say, oh, five, oh, six or oh, six, oh, seven, if, if Vanner turned around and was like, hey, uh, you know, pizza or, or T-Mac, throw me the tablet. I want to see my last shift. Like what would have happened? It, the game has completely changed. Yeah. Well, I think with Lindy back then, we would have went through a lot of tablets. I think he would have broken a few of those on the bench. <laughs> so, no, I don't know. I don't, again, like I said, I, I played in that era just, you know, my last few years. And 
I just, I, I just didn't get it. You know, I mean, it's, it was constant. Some guys would come off and every shift and it's like, there is no perfect shift. Like just play the game, adjust on the fly, talk to your line mates. That's how I always felt like the game. I remember when I played with Roisy and Max, I mean, I think part of it, what made us good is we constantly talk and we can call each other out and same, you know, when I was at the Islanders, that was probably the best line I've ever been on with Tavares and, and Kyle at Pozo. We constantly talked, hey, what did you see? What did you see? And I think that's what makes hockey player not just sitting and looking at a tablet and be like, oh, he's doing this. It's, I mean, that's just, there's a difference between pre-scout and overdoing it. And I think they're way overdoing it now. Yeah. Looking, looking back, I, I want to go, I want to go back to like what hockey was like in Austria. But I mean, just as, as you were coming onto the zoom here, you know, it, we were in the middle of that, that Halloween party uh, costume conversation. So it just kind of like, you know, the conversation just kind of went there, but, but I, I guess I want to ask you this, it, like, was there ever a point I know you loved, okay. I know you loved playing in Buffalo. I know you did. Uh, and I know you love Buffalo. I know that you wanted to invest in the area and stay here and do all that. And then that, that's like, you know, one thing, but was there ever a point for Thomas Vanek where it wasn't the fan base, it wasn't the losing, but maybe there was a point where, you know, in your time here, you wanted to get out. Uh, yeah, there was. I mean, not so much about me getting out. It was, you know, going into my last year. And I, I mean, I there was a good chance that I wanted to resign. There was never an offer made. But I remember that summer before I went back to our summer home here in Minnesota, I had some conversations with um, the GM and the owner. And I just said, you know, we just traded Pominville, I believe, a few months earlier for picks and a couple of players. Yeah. And you can kind of see the writing on the wall that, hey, we're not trading for legit young players. We're going for picks, you know? So my question was just, you know, what's, what's the plan here? You know, is it to trade more players away to get younger or is it just let's trade player away and just get picks. And I never even got an answer, you know, that was, which again, I mean, I was just a player. They don't need to tell me, but obviously if they wanted me to resign, you would have thought there would be some type of communication there and saying, Hey, this is what we're trying to do. You know, it might be a two-year thing or no, we're going to trade some guys. And I don't know. There was just no plan. So, yeah, it, it is what it is. And then I came to training camp that year. And, uh, again, there was no talk about. What was the year, Vanner? What was the year that Darcy Regeer, um was in front of the media? And he basically said, listen, we're going in a different direction. And there's going to be some suffering. I remember those words. Do you remember what year that was? Was that before or after you left? I believe that was after I left. Okay. But I think that was the start. start like you, Palmonville, yeah. you know, that was a big start of them, you know, transitioning into rebuilding um, the entire organization slash team, right? Yeah, that's going well, I think. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the first the first shot fired across the bow. That's what no, we're looking I mean, for. Not, I think that was ten years ago. So yeah, right. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> but listen, I mean, you had played a long time in Buffalo, and yeah. I and I will say this: like, listen, I I played in Montreal. I played for, there for a really long time. Um, mm-hmm. But I will say that when I was traded, it was it was such 
exhilarating feeling showing up at another rink, new players, new arena, new Jersey. It excited me. And I think, you know, what did that do for you when you put on that Islander Jersey for the first time after being in Buffalo for so long? Well, I'm kind of like you. I mean, I did that about eight times or seven times. I don't even know. Seven, t- seven, <laughs> seven times, but uh, you did one team twice, eh? <laughs> but no, you, you, it's like you said, it was, you know, I, I remember this. I got a phone call late at night from Darcy and all he said, uh, hey, uh, we traded you to the Islanders. Someone will be calling you from their team. I was like, all right, sweet. I mean, it's 10 o'clock at night. And, you know, within a minute or so, Garth Snow called me and he was super excited about it. And, you know, I was in shock. Not that I was in shock that I got traded. I knew it was coming. I didn't think it was coming that soon, especially with no heads up or whatever, which, again, they don't need to give me a head up. I'm, you know, as you know, as a player, you're just a, a piece of meat. So, but yeah, as soon as I got on the phone with Garth and uh, my whole mindset changed, I got super excited. I thought they had a young and up and coming team. And yeah, flew there the next day. It's like you said, you know, it was the first time for me where I got traded and I knew a couple of the guys on the team. So that makes it always easy to catch up right away, seeing a familiar face. But that team was awesome. I mean, if anything I would, you know, change is probably resign and stay there because it was a young, exciting team, just a good group. And uh, actually living on Long Island, the, the four months I was there was, was awesome. It's just a great community. Let me ask you this. Uh, so let's, let's stay there for a second. Cause mm-hmm. you know, you had, was that offer from them? Was that like, there were always reports, like you hear reports and, and shit like that. And you're like, Oh yeah. Who knows if it's really real. Did you yeah. turn down a $50 million offer from the Islanders for seven years? Yeah. I, I don't know exactly. It was somewhere close to that. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So, so they actually did give me an offer. And uh, again, so, at that point it wasn't about money at, at all because I was fortunate enough that I got that already in Buffalo. So for me, it was just, uh, you know, testing free agency more than anything, but looking back, I had a pretty good there and, you know, and it's, it's one of those things. Obviously I knew I wanted to play in Minnesota and I think, you know, you're kind of stubborn and then this, and your my kids were getting into schools where I'm like, God, do I want to move them around this, have a house here. So it ended up, you know, I took it to free agency and I did ended up, signing here in Minnesota where I already had a home, but looking back, I was, you know, I mean, would have been probably better for my latter stage of my career to stay at the Islanders. Absolutely. Yeah. But I feel though, Van, like everybody knew and it, you, and it's not cause you ever said anything. Mm-hmm. It's not like you ever were like, Oh, I'm going to play for the wild one day or whatever, but you had an amazing, you, what, one thing I do remember is, is you loved your time at university of Minnesota. Like you loved Minnesota. And, and so everyone kind of knew in the back of their minds, like when you passed up that deal and you went to free agency, if you, if anybody had said, you know, where's Vanek going to go? I, I would have told them Minnesota. I probably even would have guessed Minnesota. I mean, it just always seemed like you were destined to end up there somehow. Right. And it's not, and was it, was it on your mind playing for the wild? Oh, for sure. I mean, it's, I mean, it's like anyone, right. I mean, you look at, you know, Tuck, you know, coming back now, I mean, he's not Buffalo, but Syracuse close enough. You can see not that I was born here in Minnesota, but you know, I made some connections in my college years and had a summer home here and obviously loved it. My kids loved it here just like we did in Buffalo. But again, 
the whole thing was more about sure being home, being in your own house would be great. But at the same time, I thought the wild, just like they do now, I thought they had a, a very strong team. So I'm like, okay, not only am I going home, if I, if there's a possibility, there's also a really strong team that can contend. So those were things that I wanted to wait for and then get to July 1st. Well, yeah, because you knew, I mean, they had, they had already made that big commitment to Parisian Suter by that point, right? They were, right. Yeah, yeah, they were, they were committed going in that direction. Well, is there a place, is there a place, is there a place that you look back and you think of, you know, we joke about how many teams you played for, but of the 17, is it seven teams or eight teams that you played for? And the funny yep. thing is you go back it, to your statistics and when you went to the Islanders, you had a great, great year that year. Then you went to Minnesota. You had two really strong years in Minnesota. Then you went to Detroit. You had a super strong year in Detroit. Like every place that you played, you had some really good years. Yeah, I, I mean, what, yeah, I, I appreciate that. But no, I think part of what I think really helped me, and I go always back to to to, to Danny B and Chris and my career. I got to throw him in there. I think they. They just always, you know, especially Mike and Chris, you know, they were just always more about just be a good teammate, you know, enjoy your time. And I think as I got older, I realized that more and more. And it, it really helped me when I got traded to places or signed somewhere new to right away, you know, talk, get comfortable with people. And like I said earlier, instead of the tablet stuff, whoever I played with, I constantly communicated and I would study their game more so than my game. And then. I think that's kind of gone away. I remember, I mean, this is how I always was. I'm not sure why, but when I was on the bench, I would watch obviously our team, but I would more so watch the forwards, what their tendencies are, because in case I play with them, I already know this is where he's going to go. I know a step ahead already where he's going to go. So I think that was part of why it was easier for me to always fit in because I, I tried to make connections right away and then be easy and a good, good teammate. So you knew if you landed on a line with 76, you know, I was going cross corner dump, eh? Yeah. God, yeah. <laughs> Jesus. If we even got to the red line. <laughs> uh, uh, oh, take me, take me. So of all the teams, so here Buffalo, yeah. you know what they are, but for people listening that may not know all yeah. the teams, Buffalo, the Islanders, and then you, what, what Riv, what you probably forget is that, and maybe you don't because you're looking at his stats, but if you were even traded again that year yeah, yeah. from the Islanders to Montreal, what was that? What was that like? Uh, interesting. Cause I remember we were, you know, obviously they, the Islanders wanted to extend me and I said, no. So, you know, we were points. I don't know how many points out of the playoffs, but for them again, it was a good business move to move on. And I remember I was sitting in Edmonton in the hotel room and I think the deadline already passed. And I'm like, okay, you know, you're watching the TV and then scrolling on Twitter to see if anything, waiting for Steve to call me, my agent. I'm like, all right, if an hour has passed, I guess I'm uh, staying here. So, and then I'll sit, you know, then I, I saw it, I think on Twitter first that I was going to Montreal. So I'm like, I mean, that's the last team I thought I was going to go. At that point, I think Montreal was four or five points out of the playoffs. But yeah, so anyways, got the phone call there from uh, Mark Bergevin, who's, who's awesome. I loved him. Great GM. And uh, met the team in Phoenix, the first guy I met. And I already knew him a little bit through because we had the same agent, Steve Bartlett, was at Geo. 
And uh, Gio was great to me. He was awesome. He kind of gave me the rundown of the team. He was the captain of the team. And man, that team, we, we, from there, went on a pretty good run. We went on a run. We, we got hot at the end, got into the playoffs and uh, got all the way to the conference final. I still think that's the one team, especially with the old five or six teams, the early years in Buffalo, that Montreal team where you look back and be like, God, that's a team that had a chance. Not because we're the greatest team, I think we got hot. That bad locker room got along, and we had Carey Price. So anytime you have goaltending, you can win a cup. So my my initial question was going to be of of all the other teams, Buffalo. Mm-hmm. So excluding Buffalo, so the yeah. Islanders, Montreal, Minnesota, Detroit, Florida, Vancouver, and Columbus. Mm-hmm. Which team, if you could erase, like not erase Buffalo because you want to, but just right. say, which team do you think you would have liked to have start your career with? Other than Buffalo? Oh, God. I don't know. All places had were pretty good. I don't know. I mean, Montreal was awesome. I mean, you, you can't. For me, it was great. It's a European city. Or more like a European city. How yeah, I yeah. Yeah. But I don't know if it would be awesome as a young kid. That, that I, I'm not sure Greg can speak to that probably better than me. But what do you mean? Is it is it a good place for a young kid? <laughs> well, as far as the media and stuff, you know, I mean, it's it's a lot of the the English media and then the French media. I mean, it's the last media. thing you got to worry about when you're a young guy in Montreal, that's the last thing you got to worry about because guess what? The media doesn't care about you. Yeah, they care about the old guys, the guys that make all the money. Where you're going to get into trouble in Montreal is the nightlife. Right, right, right. That that comes with it too. Exactly. But thank God I stayed in. Took care of myself. I don't know. I would say probably just from a pure hockey, you know, the the history of the team. Probably. I mean, Montreal. I mean, how cool was that? I remember I scored a hat trick in a regular season game there, and they were chanting my name. And I was 30 years old at the time. I'm like, what is happening? I remember I had the chills. I'm like, this is cool. Yeah. This is cool. I mean, what about Detroit? Detroit's awesome. So that, that was, I was going between those two teams. Just Detroit is Detroit so much like Buffalo. I know you don't want me to compare for it, but I liked it. It's simple, great neighborhoods. Yeah. Good people. I mean, it's just the way they run the organization, the way they communicate. Even when I was there both times, we weren't, you know, not a non-playoff team for sure. You know, even at the start of the year, but the way they communicated and treated their players was, um, was awesome. And you can see they're turning the corner around because of that communication from four or five years ago. I mean, they, it's a process. You, you can't be good right away, but you can treat people the right way and, and do the right things, even in a losing situation. And yeah. I think that's where Detroit did a great job when I was there. Interesting. I don't know that I, I, I don't know that I was expecting, expecting you to say Detroit, but that's, that's actually a fascinating, uh, Fascinating. It's the winning tradition that's come with that team, you know, over the last 20 some years or, you know, they, they were, they were a team that made the playoffs every year. They, you know, the, the players that they have brought into the organization, you know, some of the best teams in a long time. So what was it like getting, what was it like getting uh, back together with hoods again? Oh, it was great. I mean, hoods and hoods was my, you know, him and Connie, the first pro coaches I had down in Rochester. So, uh, and we got along great from the first minute on, he helped me that first year quite a bit of how to be a pro, how to play the game and stuff. But 
again, Hoots, what, what Hoots was great. He was a great communicator. So, um, you know, fast forward 12 years later to be on the same team again, it was, it was great. And, uh, he hasn't changed one bit, but going back to Riff's comments of Detroit, I think what they do so well or what they, you know, have done so well for so long, you know, they had always good leaders. They went from Eisenman to Lindstrom to Zetterberg and I, I was there with, with Z at the end of the, with Cronwell at the end of their career and mine as well, how they just, again, even though it was there, you know, they weren't just there to collect the paycheck. They were there to groom the next generations, the, the Larkins, the Pertuzis and, and turn them into leaders and then carry on the tradition. And they, and that's why they're going to be good again, because they have taught those young guys what it takes. And those young kids, they, okay. They're like, all right, we, we know what to do. It's our turn to take over where I think a lot of teams, you know, they, draft the kid high and he's like, Oh, he's our best player. He's got to be our captain at 20, which I don't ever agree with that. Bring in an older guy, teach the young guys. And, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's how I kind of would run my team. If I ever had a chance to watching them now, has Larkin, has it rubbed off on Larkin? What, uh, what those guys were trying to teach him, you think? Oh, for sure. I mean, again, the first time around when I was in Detroit to the second time around, I mean, even those two years later, Dylan was a different player, you know, not just on the ice, but off the ice. So it's, it's, it's amazing how, you know, Dylan's a smart guy, but he's young too. You know, he made a few mistakes, mistakes, whatever he's, he had some growing up to do. Yep. And a year and a half later, when I rejoined the team, he was, he was an absolute stud on and off the ice. So again, it's, that just didn't happen because, you know, he read a book or something or someone, you know, the GM told him or whatever. It's because the Cronvalls and the Zetterbergs and everyone else that's around there, that's told them, this is how they do it here. This is how you have to do it. So Vanner, you, we talked about eight teams that you've played on, you know, skipped around and, and saw a lot. Yeah. And when it comes to, you know, running a team, coaching a team, you know, you've had a number of different coaches in the National Hockey League. Just like, you know, for me, I played on four teams and I think I had nine head coaches in the league. Um, who, who, was, who was your favorite? It's, it's, I don't know about favorite. Again, I had Lindy, obviously, the longest. So as far as, I would say as far as systems, the adjustments, speeches i would say it's definitely lindy just because he had that then i had a few younger coaches who you can tell they were just learning and it took him till the next day to watch video and then be like oh could have done this this is how we should adjust it yep and then obviously i got traded to uh columbus and torts was the head coach and i remember that i got about a million texts they're like have fun have fun <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, oh boy, what am I walking into? And I loved it. It was it was awesome. He was he was great to me. He challenged me at times, which again, I was obviously I I went through that my whole career yeah. or a lot of my career. So I was well. That's you, the thing. If you could play for sorry, you're cutting out there. Uh, he's cut. He's cutting out. What was what was uh, Torts like like to deal with? We'll wait for River to get back in here. But what was Torts like to deal with? I mean, did you have to deal with him one on one at times? Yeah. Oh yeah. He's he's awesome. He's nothing like you expect at all. I mean, I again, I'm sure different guys have different stories. I can only speak about my experience, and it was unbelievable. I mean, Lindy, I think when you look at him, and you 
<laughs> he was, uh, <laughs> yeah, Torrance was great. I mean, he, he communicated. He was, again, he was a fiery guy on the bench. And when, you know, you did something he didn't like, he let you know. But I don't mind that. I'd rather have that to tell me right there and then. He's like, you got to be better at this. You got to be better at this. And we went right back out there. And uh, even if he would yell at you, which he did to me a few times, and I didn't think it was my mistake. I, I never talked back. I was like, all right, sounds good. I'll try to do it better. And he would watch the video. And the next day, he'd come to me and be like, hey, Thomas, that actually wasn't your fault. I apologize. Oh, no way. Yeah, he was awesome. Wow. Was, and that then as far good. as practices, it was unbelievable. Like, I was there, obviously, for a playoff run at the end of the year. But he was all about rest. And uh, when we did go on the ice, it was high pace, quick, and yeah, he was, uh, again, it, that's the one thing you kind of, I've learned, you know, from bouncing around, don't ever judge anyone, which obviously that's something you learn as a kid, but you know, sometimes you hear things and you're like, oh boy, this is going to be scary. And it was unbelievable for me. I loved my time with him. Rev, you, uh, you froze, you were in the middle of asking a question yeah. about Lindy. So I saved well, you was, and went down. A yeah, I was, path, but go ahead. I was just going to say that, um, you know, when you, when you look at, you know, torts, and how hard he is as, as a coach and what he demanded as a coach. Yeah. I'm sure it was nothing that you couldn't handle because dealing with Lindy Ruff, who is one of the best coaches mm -hmm. to ever coach in the National Hockey League, whether, whether his style was different than somebody else's, okay? Lindy Ruff is and was one of the best coaches in the national hockey league. He was very difficult on his players. He was very tough. He demanded a lot from his players. So when you go to another team and you get, you know, taught or held accountable by John Tortorella, mm -hmm. it's not that bad. It's really not that bad because if you can play for Lindy Ruff and what he demands out of his players each and every game, then you can play for anybody in the league. Right. Oh, I, I, I agree with you hundred percent. I think, uh, I think, you know, that guard is changing just because life and society is changing, but you're, you're hundred percent correct. I mean, at that time I was, was I scared going into Columbus? No, but was I more nervous than any other trades because I knew Torch was the coach? Yeah, I was. I'm like, wow, what, what's, well, how's this going to be? Right. And it's, it was eye-opening. It was awesome. He, he's absolutely, but you're right. He, the way he demands things, but the way he carries himself and he brings it over in team meetings and speeches, I mean, you are ready to go. He is uh, that a he motivator. can do. That's a, that's a special, special person to coach like that. I mean, I, I, again, I coach my kids and I love coaching, but, uh, you know, I, there's bits and pieces I take from every coach I've had. Definitely uh, some from Torx and some from Lindy. You know, th this year, this year, Torts was under fire for one of his comments about Connor McDavid. I'm not sure if you heard it. He said, he said something, and I'm, I'm you know, paraphrasing here, but mm. something about him changing his game because you're not going to be able to score at will in the playoffs. Do you understand now that because you played with him or played for him, where he, what he means by that? Or is that something where you just think you don't touch a Connor McDavid type player and try to change his game? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think if Torch would be the coach in Edmonton, he would change much of McDavid's, you know. I think sometimes he, he probably says something and, and 
there's probably something he would change that he would like, you know, in his system differently, but I don't think he's going to tell Connor McDavid not to do his thing. You know, I mean, I did hear his comments about Zegras, you know, that it's not good for the game and stuff like that. I, I think it's, is it good for the game? I mean, I mean, the kid is super creative. I mean, and if he, if he can pull it off, why not do it? But I do understand the side where Torts is coming from because I do, I, I you know, I got 11 year old twins and the 14 year old son and I coached those two teams and not so much with the older kids, but my younger kids, the next practice, that's all they were doing, trying to pick up the puck. Right. So again, I think it's good for the game. It's just as a youth coach, you know, you kind of got to tell the kids, all right, let's worry about passing the puck and not picking it up all the time. So, but is it good for the game? Hell yeah. I mean, if the guy can pick up the puck that quick and then make plays good for him. Here's the thing though. I think people take so take, you know, quotes and stuff out of context. Right. Oh, for and, sure. And, and I'm going to, I'm, you guys can agree with this or you can disagree after I make my point. In 2017, 18 season, Alex Ovechkin won his work, won his, won a Stanley cup, 24 games, 15 goals, 27 points. That's in 2017, 18. Okay. He was told in order for him to win the ultimate prize, he needed to change his game. Do you guys remember that? Yes. I do. Right. The way he played was not indicative of winning a championship. Well, there was that highlight reel goal that the Rangers scored and he was standing there with his stick across his waist. He wasn't moving his feet backwards. Okay, and that happened that happened throughout his entire career. Right. Okay. I'm just I'm but just here's going the back thing. to the the one play that sticks out that people talk about. Right. But in but in year number one, 52 goals, 46 goals, 65 goals, 56, 50, 32, 38, 32, 51, 53, 50. The guy has scored in a tremendous amount of goals. He's ha- he's making $10 million a year. He is an absolute super stud. But they're saying to him, if you want to win, you have to change your game a little bit. Did he change his game? Who, first of all, who is saying that though? Did his own coach say that? Or yes. Yes. That? This was, this was, this was, uh, um, uh, Barry I Trotz. The comments. I can't remember. Barry Trotz who Barry came Trotz. into the, t- he came into the team yeah. and he basically said, Alex, you need to change your game a little bit. If you want to be a champion, that's what he said. And Alex Ovechkin started to change his game a little bit. The defensive side of things became more of a focus. Um, and, and now all of a sudden you saw Alex Ovechkin on at the end of the games, making sure if they're, if they were up three, two, Alex Ovechkin was on the ice because he learned to appreciate another part of the game than just what he has done exceptionally well, his entire life and that score goals. So, what I'm trying to say is what Torts is saying about Connor McDavid is he is always going to be one of the top point producers in the game. But have you ever watched Connor McDavid play defense? What's going to happen is in the playoffs is what Torts is saying. You are not going to be able to, you know, do the same as what you're doing now in the regular season. Things get tighter. Things get more aggressive. 
the the intensity level is higher now you're now you're keying on a player an individual player in the playoffs because you play them back to back to back to back so it becomes a lot harder that's all that's what i take from it he's not putting connor mcdavid down and saying you're not a great hockey player it's saying you need to alter a little bit how you play not change your game that's what i took from it yeah no i and i think that's you're 100 percent correct on that it's but that to me is not changing your game that's just you know tweaking it and having awareness but that's that's him as a coach because it's that's that's what he did in tampa that's what he does with his teams at the rangers that's what he did in columbus when we should have beat that actually that's that washington team that year that won the cup yeah and uh again so so again but you're right it's it's sometimes you know, guys, you know, even players, when, when you played or I played, you know, you see a comment, but you, you, you have in your heads, that quote was not, not exactly how they spun it to be, you know, and the next yeah. day on the radio, they're like, Oh, he's saying this, this is crazy or why, you know, and this, I'm like, no, that, that's not what this meant at all. No. So again, I, I, I agree with you. I think his whole comment about, you know, McDavid and then trots with Ovechkin is, we're not we're not changing their game. You're not they're, changing they're top five players in the world. Yeah, just maybe you know tweak it and have an awareness and play a different system. What he would play it. Yeah, so. let's uh, let's go to your your younger days because uh, I want to know what hockey's like for you in Austria. Mm-hmm. You know, you're growing up in Austria. You grew up in Austria, right? Am I? I know you speak four different languages, so I don't know if like I know you speak Czech, German, Austrian, and English. But I mean, I didn't teach you anything. There's no Austrian. Austrian is German. No, okay. That's German, Czech, and English a little bit. That's, that's, (laughs) I, I, I do. Oh, I, oh, I'm sure you fucking knew that. Hey, Riv. Yeah. I bet, I bet, I bet Riv would have known that right off the bat. I I do remember you saying that you did. I I did know that. That was a, that was a, a small detail that we need to overlook. All right. Um, because I remember sitting at the back of the bus one time, had a couple pops, and I was like, "Come on, speak, speak German. Let's just hear it." Like everybody says the same thing. As soon as you find out that a guy speaks another language, you're like, "Okay, let, speak it." So you you grew you grew, you grew you grew up in Austria. Yeah. What's what's hockey like in Austria? Uh, not very good. I mean, it was it was fun. Like I mean, you know, it's 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 crazy now because my kids doing youth hockey here and. We live in this community of, you know, in Stillwater, Minnesota, and tryouts come around, and you have your top team, then the next team, and there's like six, seven teams for each age group. I remember when I grew up, you showed up to the rink, and if 14 kids sign up, that's your team. And if a new kid come, you know, came in, then you had 15 on that team. So uh, I just I, I played hockey until I was 14 with my friends from school and we just continued on from mites to squirts to PVs, And we had the same team all the way. But how much, like how, how good were you when you were younger? Uh, I don't like, know. Were you, early, were on, you... I didn't, early on, I'm I no idea. Right. I mean, I was just a kid and I, I knew I scored goals, but as I got older about, you know, 11, 12, and I was, you know, starting to play with the under 16s back home and I was still scoring goals. I'm like, okay, I like this. I can do this. I can, um, 
you know, I think I'm good at this. And and I was fortunate. My dad was my coach for a long time. And, you know, he was, he was an awesome coach for me. He just yeah. taught everyone the same and, you know, it, it was great. But then I think when I realized was the big PB tournament, which is crazy to think, cause you're so young. I played there two years in a row. And my second time there is when I got a lot of, and by I, I mean my dad who doesn't speak English and he didn't know what's going on. All of a sudden, all these schools were coming at him that I should move over here and try this and try this. So now when you say the big peewee tournament, you're talking the Quebec peewee tournament, Quebec peewee tournament. Yes. Yeah. So and that's when yeah. you're, that's like when you're 12, right? Yeah, I was 12 and then 13. Yeah. So it's your, your peewees. Yeah. So, wow. Yeah. So, so that's when teams, you know, were asking or, or schools were asking to come over. And at that time, my dad, and my mom were like, no, not yet. You're too young. And I was, you know, 12 years old or 13. I'm like, no, not yet. And then a year later, I was like, I was going into ninth grade, finished eighth grade back home in Austria. And I'm like, dad, I think I'm ready. And he's like, ready for what? I'm like, to go across and go to Canada. And he's like, are you serious? I'm like, yeah, I want to get challenged. I want something new. And he's like, okay, let's look into it. And he played pro hockey, had a couple of friends in Canada and made a connection. And, uh, Lacombe, Alberta, out of all places. So it's it's right by Red Deer. And yeah, I went there, had a, an awesome billet family and played for a team there. And it was the greatest thing I've I've ever done. I remember I just opened eyes and I was like, this is so cool. I didn't know any English. I knew, yes, maybe sometimes a couple words. And it was great. I, I mean, hockey was my escape. And and like I said, the billet family I had was so good. They really worked with me on my English and life just got easier every week. So now did- playing with those players in Canada, mm-hmm. in Alberta, mm-hmm. where did you fit in at, at the age of 13, 14 years old? Where did you fit in amongst those players? Because obviously it would have been a big shock going from Austria yeah. to coming over to Canada and playing in Alberta. Yeah. So I remember, I mean, I was a ninth grader, so I tried out for, I think the, you know, Bantams, which back then was ninth and 10th grade and did pretty good. And then, uh, the billet family I stayed with got a phone call. I didn't know exact the details, how it happened, but, um, the midget coach called and said, he wants me to come out with them. And I ended up making that team. So I played with a bunch of junior seniors and Again, as far as the pace of play, I thought was great. The hitting part and everything else, that's, that took me a while to adjust, but I loved it. You know, the, here's a good story, too. I think my Bill of Dad took me to the first tryout, and he saw me on, on the ice. And after practice, he goes, Thomas, he's like, you did a really good job out there, but we got to get you a new helmet. I'm like, a new helmet? Why? You know, I kind of, he's explaining this to me. He goes, Nobody plays with, you remember the round Jolfa helmets? Yeah. He goes, nobody plays with those in Canada. You're going to get killed. (laughs) (laughs) Come on. (laughs) Because in Europe, we all had the the round Jolfa helmets. So I was like, all right, sounds good. So we went and got a new helmet. Yeah, it's just funny things like that. But again, it was, that year was... uh, It's amazing the things that'll save your life over here, right? When you're playing hockey. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. But no, that year was, I mean, that year was so much fun. I mean, the hockey was great. Again, my billet family was just the nicest people in the world. And, you know, just the part with the English helping me out. And Any yeah. connection with them still? 
Oh yeah. Yeah. We're still in touch with them. I mean, I, I owe a lot to them. So it's, let me, let me ask you something. I left home at 15 and I went an hour and 20 minutes away Mm -hmm. and I was super homesick. I mean, there were like, what was it like for you? I mean, you're, you're on another, in another country across an ocean. There was no cell phones then, was there? No, no, it was calling cards. So I remember, um, again, it was, was it scary for sure? But I don't know. I I, I loved it. I I loved having a challenge and meeting new people and and playing hockey. And so, and the best part is my mom and dad are, you know, the day they dropped me off at the airport, I flew by myself, you know, I think through London to Calgary at 14. And my mom and dad said, he's like, if you don't like it, come home tomorrow. If you don't like it in a week, don't be, you can always come home. So I always knew that in the back of my head that if something goes wrong, I'm just going to go home. Did you ever uh, almost, did you ever almost come close to wanting to go home? No, not even close. I, it was awesome. It was great. But, oh um, man, I, I, I totally, uh, I totally don't have the same, uh, same thought. I mean, I moved away when I was 15 uh, turning 16 and it was a long, it was a long year. I had great, great, an incredible billet family, nice, nice people. But, uh, I just don't know maturity wise if I was ready. I, and I'm sitting here listening to you at age 14 and I left at, you know, a year, year older. Um, and I was two, two and a half hours away. It was a really tough time for me. Like, I mean, I, I, uh, I, maybe it was just maturity. Everybody's different, but, uh, yeah, it was a I tough time. Yeah, I agree with you. And you know, what's, what's funny is my oldest son, he just turned 14. So I look at him, I'm like, this is when I left. I'm like, no way. I'm like, crazy, right? <laughs> I mean, he can't even clean up his room, you know? So yeah. um, it's, it's funny when you compare it to your own kids, it's like, I don't think I could send them, you know, an hour away and feel like he can do okay. So well, this but is the part of it is, I think I, I didn't move an hour away. I, I moved far away. I had to grow up quicker because it's yeah. not like, I don't think I was that super mature kid. I think I just had to mature and, and grow up. Yeah, it was interesting. You know, I, I just, I can't, I can't even imagine like your parents allowing you to go away at that age you know, at least in my situation. And I think in Petey's situation, you know, what, what did you say? You were an hour and a half away, Petey tops hour. You know, 20. And I was, I was two and a half hours away. And I, I here, here's the difference between your situation and mine. I remember I came, I finished a practice one day and uh, one of the trainers came to me and said, Hey, uh, coach wants to see you in his office. So I was like, okay. You know, so I went in and I opened the door and looked at the coach, said, hey, coach. And I t- turned the corner and my dad's sitting in, a, in, in one of the chairs. And I was like, hey, dad, how you doing? <laughs> He's like, sit down. <laughs> and I was like, oh, oh, boy. My dad looks at me, he goes, your marks aren't very good. If they don't improve, you're coming home. Period. He goes, I'm giving you two weeks. He gets up and he walks out of the room. <laughs> Drove back to North Bay. Uh, so he went like from, that. So he went from D's to C minuses. Vanner, so you know, one one person that was very influential, while well, their family was very influential to both you and I is Steve Barlett. 
you know, I, I know, I know how fond you are of the Bartlett's as a family. How did you get connected with them? Ah, uh, so, the, so my dad coached, like I mentioned earlier, me growing up. And then even when I left, he continued to coach youth hockey because that's his passion. And one of his players that he coached end up going to the, he's, I think he was five years older than me, went over to the U S played in a prep school and then ended up playing at the university of Maine. And he met Steve Bartlett. So when I was 14, fast forward back in Canada and about halfway through my year there, I was getting a lot of phone calls from agents and, and this, so I had a few meetings and every one of them I do remember or a lot of them were, okay, you're going to go here. And at 15, you're going here at 16, you're going here at 17, you're going to the Western league. And at 18, you're going to get drafted in the NHL. And I remember like I was a ninth grader. I'm like, wow, that's a fast track. I'm like, I just like playing hockey, midget hockey. And they're talking. So it was way over my head. And I remember telling my dad, I'm like, I don't like any of these. And why do I need one of these right away? And he's like, you don't. He's like, just say no to everyone. I'm like, okay, sounds good. So that summer, you know, going back to Steve, the kid he had in Maine, who was an Austrian kid, we met with his family and he had Steve Bartlett as an agent. You know, and that summer, I think I talked to Steve when I was 15 the first time. And my first conversation with Steve was all about me or my family and just getting to know me. And I'm like, this is my guy. There was no talk about NHL or Western League or this or this. It was just getting to know me as a person. I'm like, and that day on, Steve has been like a second dad to me, but he's a second dad to, I think, almost every player he's ever had because that's that's how he treats his business and that's why in my opinion he's the greatest i couldn't agree with you more i think you know I, like when i met him when i when i switched to steve i had i had fired uh <laughs> i had fired the guy that was with bobby Orr. <laughs> that's a great story for another day but uh so anyway i i you know like i i had kind of played that whole season of junior without an agent and Steve was, was recommended by somebody who, you know, I, I valued their opinion and, and the conversation with him was so different. It was so different than every other agent that you talked to. It was like very personable. What do you want to do? Where do you see yourself? What, you know, like all these things, it was, it wasn't like exactly what you said, well, here's what we need to do. And here's how we're going to handle this. And here's what's next. It, it was, it was very personable. And I, I like what you said there. Um, let's, so you, you end up, how do you end up NCAA over junior hockey? I mean, was that something you and your parents discussed? Was education something you put more of a, uh, an emphasis on, or, or was that the experience you wanted to have? No, I mean, I, I didn't even know what college hockey was. I mean, when I grew up, you know, I, I, I knew about the NHL, and I remember every Sunday there was like an hour show long of all the highlights of the games that happened that week. That was my exposure to the national hockey league and trading cards. So I didn't, I had no idea college hockey even existed, you know? So no, the way it came about then, you know, Steve became my family advisor back then. And he said, you know, I, I think for you, the, the junior route in the U S would be better because as a European player, I don't think I could have played until I was 17 in the Western hockey league. And he goes, I think for you, the junior college route is the way to go. And I was like, okay, that sounds good. I ended up as a 10th grader in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And yeah, played there for three years until my senior year. But in, during those three years, 
that's when uh, I learned about college hockey, watching it on TV and, you know, the atmosphere and everything. And I'm like, this is awesome. Yes, I do want to do college. So when it was time to do that, I did a few visits and ended up um, at the U of M here in Minnesota. Where where else did the, was um, recruiting you? So I, the, the five I, I came down to, to uh, go visit was uh, obviously Minnesota, uh, the University of Wisconsin, Michigan, and then BC and BU, but I never ended up going to BC and BU for a visit. So just to the average. So you, because oh, you had just, made your decision, so no, like you, you no, knew? No, you, no, no, but BC and BU, what happened there is my junior year in, in high school, so my 11th grade year, I broke my collarbone at the end of the year. And I, I can't remember if I did come back and play a little bit at the end of the year or not. I don't, don't recall that, but I, then my 12th grade year, I wanted to set up all my visits uh, early on in the school year so I can, you know, focus on school and hockey the rest of the way. So I had all my visits set up and we have had, I don't think any preseason games yet or anything and BC and BU, I had back to back early in the year and they called me and said, Hey, can we switch uh, your visit a month from now? So I, I knew what they were trying to do. They were trying to watch me play some games and see how my shoulder is doing. And I said, no, that's okay. I'll just, uh, I'll go to the other schools. So then immediately they called me back and they're like, no, he's like, Oh, that doesn't matter. Come now, come now. And then I was like, no, I'm good. Thank you for, uh, you know, trying to get me out there. And I just kind of moved on. So after two years at the uh, University of Minnesota, mm-hmm. you left the next year and went to uh, and, and played in Rochester, and that would have been the lockout year. Yes, yeah. So I want to go back to the the college thing. Mm-hmm. Have you ever thought about going back to finish the two years to get your your degree, or is or is that something that's uh, what's your yeah. thoughts on that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think the the last four or five years when I was in uh, Detroit and Vancouver, I did some online school, so. Uh, I am getting closer, but um, I just haven't made that step yet to go actually on campus and finish the classes I need to finish on campus. So, but it's definitely, uh, you know, one of my goals to um, graduate from the U. Awesome. Uh, I want to go, I want to go like, I I, I know I, I don't know how much more time we have with you, Vanner. I don't know what your schedule is like, but I'm, I'm loving this. Uh, But tell us when you got to go. I, I want to go to your pretty your, busy here today. It's snowing here. So I got to shovel the driveway and shovel the rinks. So I see the there. snow, like every, every now and then there's a gust of wind and I can see it blowing off your roof <laughs> off the back. It looks like you guys got, you got hammered over there. Uh, yeah. I say you got to shovel off the rink. You have a rink in your backyard. Of course I do. The boys love it. And, uh, it's just like anyone else, right? It's a lot of work, but when you see your kids, your boys skating out there, it makes it all worth it. How big is it? I think it's about uh, 40 by 80. So it's a good size ring. I, you know what? I remember, I remember you were, when you were still playing, you would take your kids to the rink. And I saw you at Dwyer arena in, at Niagara university one day. And, you know, you said something to me that was very, very interesting. And I've never forgotten it. I've never forgotten it. And I, I, my son's only eight. So I don't know that I'm quite there yet with his sports, but I remember you said, if he doesn't want to go, he doesn't go. 
if he, if he, I, and I, I, you know, I was like, does he love it? Cause I, that's one thing I ask the kids all the time. Do you love, do you love the sport you're playing? And I think I asked you, does he love it? And you said once, some days he does, some days he doesn't, you know, there are days where I'm like, Hey, it's time to go to hockey. And you're just, and he's like, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And you're like, if he doesn't want to go, I'm not forcing him to go. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, again, it's when it's, when you're very young, right. Then you don't force him. Once you get to an age where you're probably nine, 10, 11, I don't know what the optimal age is, but you commit to a team, then you're going for sure. But at, at the young age, when they're five, six, seven, eight, yeah, and he just wants to not go to hockey at 7 a.m., then don't go because that was my dad's mentality. And I think I kind of, you know, grew into that. It's the same when I hear people say to their kids, shoot a hundred pucks every day and your shot's going to get better. No, it's not. Well, why is it? I mean, is it going to help? Maybe, but if the kid doesn't want to shoot a hundred pucks and he's bored and he just shoots them because dad told him to, he's not going to get better. What my dad always said, yeah, shooting pucks is going to improve your game. But I said, how many should I shoot? He goes until you get bored. He's like some days, if you get bored after 20 pucks, stop because every other puck you shoot after that is worthless. And he's like, there's other days you're going to shoot 60 other days. You shoot zero. He's like, whatever you're into it, just commit to it and do it a hundred percent. So that's kind of, you know, I think that was a great mentality and I kind of do that same thing with my own boys. I, I can love that. directions, but they got to do it themselves. I love that mentality. And, and you know, like my son's eight doesn't play hockey, hates the sport. Doesn't hate it. I say hate. I toss that word, but he doesn't like the equipment. He doesn't like the, he's like, I don't like the skates. I don't like the equipment. It's uncomfortable. He loves basketball and soccer. Those are his sports. And you know, I'm, I'm yet to come across a day where he said he doesn't want to go, but there are days where, you know, he's like, you know, we like to go and shoot hoops, you know, at the gym around here. And, you know, I'll be like, Hey, you want to go shoot hoops? He's like, no, I'm like, okay, we don't go, you know, like we're not going. And if there's a clinic that night and he doesn't want to go, we're not going like, and, and, and that mindset I'm telling you started with you. In fact, I had that this exact conversation with Jeff the other day with my brother you know, he's like, man, Gavin doesn't want to go to hockey. And I told him the story about you at Dwyer's like Van's like if kid doesn't want to go. Don't take him. He's six, seven. Like, like, why are we going to force them, put them in a position to have to feel like they have to do it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, they'll, they'll, if they're going to love it, they got to fall in love with it by themselves. So not because of that. Just again, I mean, I love that my kids play hockey. They enjoy it, but they got to love it in their own way. Not because dad played or dad enjoyed it or dad wants to go to the rink. And I mean, I still enjoy it. I mean, I miss the game, but again, I'm lucky that I get to coach them and practice. You miss, what do you mean? You love the game. Do you miss playing it. the game? Yeah. And I miss playing the game for sure. For sure. I do. I mean, I don't miss the traveling part. Uh, you know, the get and yell that part that I don't miss, but, uh, <laughs> You know, you missed the locker room, you missed the games, I missed the practices, but again, I, I'm happy where I'm at that I, you know, got my three boys and they're into the game. I get to coach them. I get to do the practice plan, make their buddies better. And um, it's something that I actually enjoy a lot more than I thought I would, the coaching of it. And uh, yeah, it's, so that's been a, such an easy transition for me to move on. You, you just you miss play, you just you miss PF well? Chang's in Boston with a Sapporo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those. Uh, I mean, yeah, those are good nights, I guess. Yeah, we'll take it. <laughs> oh my god, that's the only thing I miss. 
played a long long time in the league. We, we both played a a very long time in the league. Yeah. And I, and what I miss, I miss, I miss this. I miss driving to the rink in the morning and seeing the trainers. I was always, uh, you know, I, I had kids and, uh, young kids at the time. And I was up earlier than everybody else and got to the rink earlier than everybody else. And that time to me, when, when there's no one there yet, and you can have a coffee with the trainers, mm-hmm. whether it was T Mac and, and, uh, Willie and, and George, that is what makes my day. That starts my day off. The other thing is I loved going on to the plane. I love playing poker. I love playing with the games with the boys, whatever we played that trip, you know, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed getting to the hotel room and I enjoyed going out for dinner. I loved going out every place we went to. We had these incredible dinners, had incredible conversation. That to me is what I miss. I don't miss the game of hockey at all. I don't miss practicing. I don't miss playing the game. I'm not, I don't have competitive juices towards the game anymore, but I'll tell you this, just like you said, Vanner, I coach youth hockey Mm -hmm. and it is literally one of my passions right now. I love it. I love seeing kids get better. I love seeing kids learn with, with through experience that we had, right? That's, that's where I'm at. No. and, And I think all, all the things you just said, that was the hardest part for me as well, because it's uh, the structure, right? You're, my whole life, someone told me, hey, you got practice at 10. You got a meeting here. The plane leaves at 2, this. And then when you get done, it's like, all right, kids get on the bus at uh, 8 a.m. And now what? Now what I have to do? So it took me, you know, a few months to kind of adjust my not lifestyle, but what do I do with my time now? Because the kids are at school from eight till three. I mean, I got a, the whole day, you know, so, you know, spend two hours at Target and buy a bunch of stuff that you don't need. And I was telling Petey, telling Petey when I retired and he was, Petey was always phony. He was always really good. He's like, how are you doing, Ribs? Everything good? And I'm like, I appreciate it. You, you know, calling this and that. And, and I'm like, oh, I love this. Love this. No one's telling me what to do. I get to do whatever I want. It was like probably what year two PD or something like that. And he calls me one day, what ribs, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm just driving around. He's like, well, where are you going? I said, I'm not going anywhere. I'm just literally in my car driving around. Well, how long you, how long you been doing that for? I don't know. It's two hours and 15 minutes now. (laughs) I'm literally have nothing to do. So I just got in my car and I drove around listen to music, just kind of like looked around, started to kind of see things that I don't normally see because I'm always rushing someplace. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's when I knew I really got to, <laughs> I really got to change things here and I got to find something that I can do beyond driving around and doing absolutely nothing. Yeah. So. And, and, and that's exactly it. Right. I think it's, and again, it's, it's like I mentioned earlier, we have been told our whole career of, where to be and what to do. And then when it's over, it's like, you know, besides your wife telling you what to do, uh, no one else does. So, uh, <laughs> again, it took me a little bit to figure it out for me. It was, you know, I got actually back into working out just to getting my, you know, juices flowing again and doing this. And 
but again, would I again? But I watch a lot of hockey still because I enjoy it, and I would like to get back into the game eventually. So, and then I sit here and I have lunch and have my coffee and start practice planning for both teams that I help out coach. Well, Chris Drury, Chris Drury is with the Rangers, and Danny B is now assistant GM with the Flyers. So you go kick the door in with one of those two organizations. Right, right. You never know. I mean, uh, it's definitely, uh, you know, I still stay in touch with both those guys every once in a while. So, again, it's got to be the right fit for me. The, the, you know, the main reason I walked away from the game is so I can coach my kids. Yeah. So the last thing I want to do is, is is join something and be traveling again and not being able to um, to coach them. So if the yeah. right fit comes along over the next few years, I would definitely look into it. Man, uh, you know, there's, there's one question. I mean, I could, I could chat with you for hours and I'll tell you at the end what, what one of my favorite, my favorite one-on-one moment with Thomas Vanek was, and you'll remember that you'll remember it. It was, it was a fun, quick little, little sprint to a restaurant when we got into town. Um, but you know, I, I want to go back and I, I don't know how uh, uncomfortable you are or comfortable you are with talking about it, but, but the offer sheet, you know, back to the offer sheet. I mean, that was a big moment, not just for you, but in Buffalo sports, because, you know, we had, uh, you know, Drury and Briere walked away from the team that year for whatever reason. I mean, we had Danny on the other day and he had said there were no negotiations with him, which I thought, which I thought was baffling, but, uh, so, you know, Danny and Drew end up signing and then you get an offer sheet. How take me through the offer sheet because you were an RFA that year. Teach mm-hmm. I think had signed a deal that probably would have been in your price range. It was like three years, five million per or five years, three million per. It was a $15 million deal. I don't know if you recall the deal, but it was somewhere around what you probably could have gotten because he scored 50 goals that year or whatever, and you were up and coming stud. How does the offer sheet come about? Were there any negotiations leading up to the offer sheet with Buffalo on an extension? And then what does that conversation sound like when Steve Bartlett calls you and says, I have this offer from Edmonton? Yeah. uh, So again, I think it was because Danny B and at least Danny, I don't think about Chris, I think could have re-signed any time during the year. I think Danny, I remember that year, he could have only signed after January 1st because he got, I think the arbitration that summer. Correct. And, and obviously I knew my rookie deal was expiring and I don't have many rights or whatever. So I wasn't even thinking about my deal whatsoever. I was just always asking Danny and uh, Chris, I'm like, when is this happening? When are you guys signing? When are you guys signing? And they're like, Oh, you know, so you were in communication with them about it? Well, I don't know about communication. I was just bugging them because I wanted them to be savers. I mean, why not? We were, we had a good team. We needed those two guys. Right. And, you know, I remember those two saying, oh, nothing yet, nothing yet. Obviously, you know, I was a young kid. They're not going to tell me if they're negotiating or turning down deals or whatever. But as the season ended and as the summer progressed, obviously, um, uh, there was a good sense that both of them were leaving. And I was like, God, that sucks. Like that we're going to lose Danny B and Chris, this sucks. But during this whole time, Steve didn't get one phone call uh, about me resigning or anything. So I was like, Oh, I guess I'll just train and I'm sure I'll be back in the Sabres and who knows when I'm going to, you know, when they're going to come approach me and give me a deal or an offer. And then July 1st came around and I think, uh, 
oh God, I don't know how many hours in, Steve called me and goes, hey, we got some offer sheets for you. I mean, I had multiple offers and uh, I was like, that was never even an option until he called me that day. I don't know if it was July 1st or July 2nd. Uh, I just always thought, okay, I'm just going to wait around in the summer and Buffalo eventually is going to give me some type of offer. I had no idea about offer sheets or, I mean, I shouldn't say no idea. I had an idea that, you know, teams can offer sheet, but I didn't know that was an option for me. And yeah, when, when, when Steve called me and I think there was maybe four teams that were willing to do one, then I was like, Oh, Holy shit. I got to sit down here and think about where do I want to go if this happens? And, uh, and I picked Edmonton because I thought at that time they were, they had a good team. They were just, you know, in the cup final a couple of years earlier, they had good young kids. They had, you know, older veterans. And, uh, again, I had offer sheets that were more years, more money. And again, I mean, all of them were so big where I was like, Oh my God, this is crazy. I, I will. This is amazing. I what a great How big, offer. how big, like how big, like how much you got 50. Yeah. I think, I think there was, I think there was one team in there that had a 12 year deal. So, I mean, obviously I, I don't remember exactly what the average was, but it was, um, you're looking at 65, 70 million, something like that. Yeah. So, but I'm like, and, and Steve always, Steve is so helpful, right? Because he's like, don't worry about if it's 40 or 50 or 60 or 70, he's like, either of those numbers are going to work for you for the rest of your life. So he just put it more of, again, that's a, that's, that's why Steve to me is the best because I he could have looked at that and said, take, take this to the highest one because he would have made more money. Right. Right. He didn't care about his, his part of it. He cared about where do you want to go? So we kind of just walked through it. And, and again, I think what helped me too, when I was a, a, a ninth grader, I played just outside of Edmonton. So I was used to the cold. I grew up in Austria in the mountains. So yeah. I didn't mind cold. I wanted, I wanted to be a hockey player and then be in the best team I can be. And I thought at that time, Edmonton was the best choice for me. So I, I signed the offer sheet. Was there be, was there a little bit of you that hoped that Buffalo didn't match based Uh, on your, based on your early dealings with Lindy and, and, Darcy, I don't know. I mean, I, I, that's I'll, also I, the year you came off 43 goals. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, mean so yeah. like life is good in Buffalo. Yeah. Season. But also Drury and Briere just walked out the door. So, I mean, now the pressure's all on you. Right. I mean, I, 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 I never looked at it as pressure. I think, no, I mean, either way, I, the way I looked at it is if I'm, you know, if Buffalo is matching this, which I had no idea what they were doing, they didn't, you know, call me and tell me that they're matching it or whatever until they did. Either way, in my opinion, I was, you know, obviously going to be sad to leave the rest of the team, you know, the Roysies and all the other, my buddies, I grew up from Rochester, Millsy and them, but it was a business decision for myself. So either way, I was, you know, happy to stay in Buffalo and, or move on from Buffalo. But when they said, you know, they're matching it, I was pumped because I'm going back. But again, I think what people don't realize it's, it's not that I got more pressure all of a sudden. Sure. People expect more when you sign up, get a deal like that. And then, and as they should, but what we is what I think Buffalo never did is they just think, you know, Palmer and, and Vanek and Roy, they just got to, you know, they're the new Briere and Drury. 
But okay, but where are the new Vanix and Roy's and Pominville's? I don't think we ever reloaded that. I mean, just as good as Danny B was for our team and, and Chris and all those guys. Well, I mean, our second or third line was pretty good with us on it too. So I think again, well, that's they were we, they were Novotny and Merrick Zagrapan and <laughs> the, right, right, Artem Kriyukov. <laughs> right. I think sometimes you know, which is fair. When you make that type of money, you people should have their opinions and get judged. But again, my my thing is like, all right, you can you can judge me, but at the same time, you also need help. I mean. You look yeah. at the teams that win, they have depth. They have. That's right. Yep. You got to have it. You know, I mean, there's. And, and at I, that time, you know, we, we didn't have much of it, you know. I want to tell you just a quick story. Uh, leading up to your offer sheet, because we had we had Bartlett together. I, I remember where I was. I was driving on the 190 heading back downtown along the river there. Uh, I was coming off the, the 90 to the 190. And I was, you know, heading into downtown where you drive under the Peace Bridge for those in Buffalo listening. So you know where I was when I when I heard the news about the Vanek offer sheet days before. <laughs> okay. I was on the phone with Steve because he's working a deal for me. He's working. I, I signed a two-year deal, a one-way deal. Um like a day or two before you. And now I understand why, but um, I'm driving down the road and I get a call from Steve and he's like, Hey, and I think he's calling me about my contract. He's like, Hey, uh, you were hoping for a couple offer sheets too. Or what? <laughs> he goes, <laughs> he goes, Hey, Oh God, I, I would have loved to have escaped. I love Buffalo. I love playing here. You know, I love the fan base. I love the town. I, I love, I love it here. I, I yeah. freaking love it here. But at the time, if I could have gotten away from Darcy Regeer or Lindy Ruff, I would have been like, just pay me 90 grand. I'll play in the NHL. I don't care. Um, <laughs> but unfortunately for everybody else, the league minimum was 500. But anyway, so point is, he says to me, he says, hey, uh, I'm not calling about you. I was like, okay. He's like, have you heard anything, any rumblings about Thomas Vanek? And I was like, Oh no, why? What what has something happened or anything? He's like, No, no, no. I'm just wondering if you've heard anything about Tom Thomas Vanek. I was like, Well, you can't leave me on that. Okay. <laughs> and he's and he said, Well, I got a contract for him. I go, Great. I go, we I go, we need him back. We're gonna lose Drew. We're gonna lose, or we may have already I can't but when did you sign your deal? Do you remember the date? I don't know. Like I said, I, I can't remember exactly. I can't remember the exact date either, but I, I know this is leading up to it. So I said, that's great. I said, well, what's the deal? He said, well, the problem is it's not with Buffalo. <laughs> and I'm like, well, what do you mean it's not with Buffalo? Did he get traded? And at the time, I'm not, I don't understand all these rules either, right? Like he said, no, I got an offer sheet with, uh, with Edmonton. I was like, no way. And he's like telling me. And then he told me the figure and I about drove off the fucking road. Okay. I just about drove off the road. And I was like, I was like, we're talking about a league minimum for me. No, but so I remember I ended up signing my deal van a few days later and it was a Friday that I signed because I remember I had to go over from Pearl street. I was already out celebrating my own contract. I'm at Pearl street drinking part, like celebrating my deal. And then Steve's like, I need you to go to the rink right now and sign your contract. <laughs> I was like, why? He's like, go to the rink today and sign your contract. 
And I said, okay. So I went over there with beer breath and we all know how Darcy felt about drinking. And I'm in there like, like holding my breath, like trying to sign my contract, pack, pack gum in my, in my mouth and everything, trying to act like not teeter totter over. Like I was wobbly. And then on Monday morning, I went in to do my workout and there's a media frenzy in the hallway. Okay. And I'm, and Bandura comes up to me and I was like, is this, is this all for me? Cause I, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, is this like channel two, channel four, channel seven, local news, Rochester news, like uh, Buffalo news, hockey news, TSN, everybody was there. And I'm like, is this because I signed right. And, and, and Van Dukes comes running right up to me and he goes, do not say a word to anybody in the media right now. Thomas Vanek was offered an offer sheet last night uh, by the Edmonton Oilers. Don't say anything, but we're matching. We're gonna we're matching it today. And I was like, and I was like, oh, I had no idea. This is unbelievable. Did this happen? How much is it worth? And meanwhile, I already known all the details. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but it all made sense. It, I think you got your offer sheet maybe on a Saturday or a Sunday, and because I signed, I think on Friday, and I just remember that exact detail. But anyway, I was I was kind of I was in the know of the offer sheet. I'm glad you signed it, man. Glad yeah, you signed oh, it because I. It was, I, I was the same as you. I mean, when, when Steve called me with these figures, I was like, are you kidding me? I mean, I, I, I left 14 to play in the NHL to chase my dream of, you know, playing a game and then hopefully staying and then having a chance to win a cup. But not ever once did I think about this is the amount I need to make to play hockey. I mean, again, I remember that day very, and the first thing I thought of, I'm like, I'm building my parents a house, which I did immediately. And it was the greatest thing I've ever did. I mean, I grew up in a high rise and my mom and dad uh, got an awesome house out of that deal. So it was, it was awesome. It was life changing. <laughs> Good for you. I'll never, I'll never forget that either about you is that you were always uh, so aware of your, of where you came from. You yeah. know, you, you were all, you were all, you know what, Van, for a guy making that much money and as much talent as, as you had playing have, but had when you were playing, you were, you were super humble. You know, and I think that's probably one of the more, one of the more, one of the better compliments anybody can get because I met a lot of guys with money that were assholes, you know? Yeah. No, no, I have to. So again, I mean, it's, it's I, I always, you know, hoped that I wouldn't change and I don't think I did. And uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was awesome. And again, I, I'm glad I stayed. I just wish we would have had some more pieces with it to uh, compete, but at least we competed. Yeah at a higher level than, um, than what they're now. Now it's been, it's been tough to watch and it's, it's sad. I mean, like I said, I still watch a lot of games and it's sad to see the attendance in Buffalo. Isn't it? Isn't it sad? It is. It is. It's incredible. Sad when you, you know, turn the game on and, you know, obviously, uh, Matt Ellis is a good buddy of mine. He's coaching now. So I'm super pumped and happy for him. And so I try to keep tabs on obviously on not just him, but the team itself. And, uh, God, but it's just, it's tough to watch when all he sees, you know, blue seats. That's it's starting to, it's starting to change. It's starting to change. We've kept you on here for a while, Vanner. I, I know Riv probably has something else to say, but I'll just say this. I remember getting off the bus in Toronto and you know where I'm going. That restaurant's not there anymore, right? I know. I know you sent me that text. Oh, sad. did I, did I, I, that must've been over a year ago. I sent you that too. Cause I, I, uh, you know, we, we got off the bus and we sprinted over for a, a, what was it? An apple. It was like an apple fajita. 
It was like an, it was like a, it's not an apple pie, but it was something and it was amazing. You know, you would think, you would think we would rush out to get a quick beer, but no, we just, uh, well, we probably had a beer on top of the apple pie. We had a Heineken. We went for, we, we said our rule is we're going for, it was called the apple fajita at Wayne Gretzky's restaurant. And we had one Heineken with it. I don't know if the Heineken went with the apple fajita, but you know, what a, what a great time that was because I was, that was sitting down with you and just escaping hockey. I mean, it was yeah. like, it was just getting away. And, and that was something that you like to do. You like to forget at times that, that you were in this world. Right. No, it was, I mean, and I think that that's neat at those times, right? Because um, you, you make connections like we made uh, together and then spending time one-on-one, I think is, is important with, with the people you care about. And I think we did that every once in a while. Well, it was great having you on, man. This was awesome, Vanner. Always appreciate, always love having you on, you know, you're so down to earth. It's absolutely insane. And you know, the funny thing is like, I know, I know you know that you were good. I know that you know that you were good, but I don't think you know how good you were. And uh, one of the best players, most talented players that I had an opportunity to play with in my 16 year career. And I played with a lot of good ones and you're right up there, uh, with the top, you know? So, uh, no, I appreciate having you on. Yeah, no, I, I, and you, I think, yeah. Did I know I was good for sure? I think you got to believe that and you got to have that swagger, but again, you can always think about, you know, looking back is so easy. It's like, I could have done this better. could have done this better. But again, the way I played the game, I, I always looked at it. I don't need to score every goal. I, I, my, my mindset was always like, how can I make my two line mates better? And that's, that's how I approached every game. And sometimes, you know, I, I, I tried to do too much and you overthink the game and you turn it over. I mean, that's still in my brain until now, right? Another turnover, turnover, turnover. I'm like, I know, I know I turned it over. I was trying to make a play coach, but I think that's part of what made me good, but it's part of what probably drove some of them crazy too. But again, I, again, I appreciate you guys. And um, this was fun. Did you use a shorter stick before I let you go? Did you use I a shorter Yeah. Do, you, do yeah. your kids use short sticks? Cause I find sticks these days are way too long. Yeah. I think no, this is going way. to get your stick right now. <laughs> yeah, I, I do. They use shorter sticks just because uh, I don't know. I think again, the closer you can have the puck to yourself, the better you're off, I think, the, you know, and again, it's different, right? You look at Matt Zuccarello or Roisey, they're centers, smaller centers. They needed that reach. But for me, you know, I, I like having a shorter stick because especially for me, I was in front of the net a lot. It was easy to tip. It was, it was easier to get rebounds. There it is, Riffs. That's a nice weapon right there. It's a great stick. That's a great nice stick. I saw twig right there. I've seen you serve shots of Jaeger off a stick like that, man, at a Halloween party. Yeah, that's got a couple of half clappers left in there, probably. Yeah. No, I just we always found that fascinating. I just find player sticks lengths are getting ridiculous. Like, like just they're so long. And I mean, you look at a guy like even Jack Eichel. His stick. I I had one of his sticks and I on, in my hand one day, and I I I just put it down on the toe, and it literally came up to my forehead. I'm like, I'm two inches taller than this guy. Yeah, but I think it's a part of it is though, and and then you guys know this because you know you, you still watch the game and ribs. You're involved in youth hockey. Just the technology of sticks has so changed, right? I mean you can give a, an eight year old a 25 flex and he can whip it. I mean, how, how hard 
these kids nowadays can shoot it. It's just, it's amazing. Again, I grew up with a wooden stick like you guys are. So that's kind of how I taught myself that little chop shot of mine, because that's the only way I could raise the puck. And then it continued and it worked for me. So even when I got old enough and, you know, I tried to change to a 75 flex to whip it and I couldn't raise the puck because that's not how I shoot. So I think that technology has really helped these kids out to just, it's amazing. I mean, you look at, you know, like you said, Eichel or Matthews, how they can bring it in and just absolutely snap it off. There's no way I was able to do that. Yep. Pancakes. It's going to be a great day. (laughs) Do you remember Danny Pye? Yeah. He's, He's probably my one of my all-time favorites. I mean, yeah. what, um, Do you know that I saw him this last weekend? The lunchbox? <laughs> yeah, Danny Paye, saw him last weekend. Good man. God, you love Danny, man. And that, you know what? And just the shit that you two would give each other back and forth, more of you toward him, but he just took it. He was just such a quiet guy. Eh? What, he's the greatest guy ever. Yes, he, he really is. I mean, he was my... First guy I got to meet uh, when I turned pro, went to Rochester, and uh, yeah, he was he's amazing. I mean, uh, I can write a book on him, and I don't even know how long it would be. It, it just continues uh, and continues, but... Oh, I remember he, he was my roommate for a few trips, and you pointed out, you're like, you got to watch him. You got to watch him. And I would like shift his wallet, shift his keys, shift his shoes. As soon as he got in the room, he'd go to the bathroom, he'd set everything up, and then I'd come in and I'd just kind of move everything, like a half, like a quarter millimeter, just a little bit. And he'd come out and be like, oh, did you what, move just this? totally anal about oh. everything structure-wise? Everything has to be perfect. Everything. I mean, if, if, if it's off by a millimeter, he'll know it's off by a millimeter. It's amazing how his brain works. Amazing. Vanner, you know, what's amazing. More amazing than that is you today. Thank you for your yeah. time, man. Class act as always miss playing Thanks, with you. Miss those days, man. Yeah. Thanks. Best of luck to hey, you, buddy. That's a wrap on another episode of after the whistle. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter after the whistle. And at Craig Reve 52 at the instigator 76. And you can find us as you already know on Apple, Spotify and YouTube and anywhere else where you can get your podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to spread the word.